Ron and Anian. And you have to understand the plight of the mechanic. My weeks right now were 10, 12, 14 days backed up in the shop, and here comes one more vehicle that is a problem child. Well, the last thing I touched was Fuse 27, and I pulled it out. Sure enough, there was a burn mark on the fuse, and then it carboned it up. It blackened it up, and it created a resistance issue that it wouldn't pass voltage. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, welcome. Come on in. Sit down. Ronnie Indian, the car doctor. Grab a chair, 855-560-9900. Here on the car doctor hotline, ready to answer your calls and Whatever it takes, let's fix your car, 855-560-9900, Ron and and the Car Doctor, at your service. More information, cardoctorshow.com, podcast, you know the drill, you've been here before, tunein.com, iheart.com, itunes.com. I've got a question for Tom Ray about iheart, see if that ever got fixed. Um, he's shaking his head, he's not really sure. Yeah, we, we submitted that to iheart. I should point that out, there's been a problem at iheart the last two weeks, a technical problem with the car doctor. Can you imagine that? That they haven't updated the podcast list and they've been going out to everybody else. So we think it's an iHeart problem. So if you're if you're an iHeart podcaster, stay tuned. They are working on it. We're we're assured. Tom's uh telling me that he spoke to someone a couple of days ago, but we haven't gotten an answer back and um you know, we're 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 doing the best we can. If not, it doesn't work there. Get out to cardoctorshow.com. You can la- download podcasts from our podcast page. I'm going to pick on a couple of things today before we kick off the show. Um, first of all, the man I don't want to pick on, the one man who made it possible for today's show to actually happen, without whom we could not be here and be on time, and that is my my, my sidekick, my Gabby Hayes to Roy Rogers, the one and only Carpenter Bob. Excellent. Yay. Oh, wait, I didn't tell you what he did yet. Yay. Oh. We were about, we were about four minutes to air, and the Favog died. And Bob just happened to be in the next room. We're, doing, we're, we're painting the studios here at corporate headquarters, and I, I had to take the paintbrush out of his hand and let him go find a screwdriver and a hammer and a nail, and da-da-da-da-da-da, and he rehung a clock from another office. So we're now working on Sterling and Noble time which appears to be just as accurate as for VOG time, but um, this one's battery-operated. We'll have to see if it strays off the time uh, during the course of the next two hours. But uh, we thank Carpenter Bob for his efforts today because without him, this radio show would have all the coordination of the radio of the t- uh, railroads back in the 1880s when um, you know they had problems with the trains. Did you know that, by the way? That's a little-known fact. Do you know why they standardized clocks and time, Tom? No. Why did they standardize clocks and time, Ron? True story. Because, I, mean, I don't know how this fits into the car doctor, but this is just a little piece of useless trivia I carry around in my head. The reason the, the Continental Railroad was such a big deal to be built is because it allowed them to help establish, and it was between the Continental Railroads and establishing national time so that the time on the West Coast was equivalent to the time on the East Coast minus the three-hour difference because a couple of seconds off or a minute off here and there 
railroads were killing people because the trains shared same tracks and you'd have passenger trains and head-on collisions. They didn't get into the switching yards fast enough and all kinds of things like that. A history professor explained it to me many years ago, and I never forgot that, and it makes sense. It does. It, you know, and that's why you have the, um, what is it, the is it the Naval Research Institute for Time or something? and um, Naval Observatory. Naval Observatory, yeah. yeah. And that's that's why time, in the, and it all happened back in the late 1800s, um, it was such a big deal. Well, on a, uh, on, on a related note, uh, many years ago I went out to the time station. Many people probably don't know there is a time radio station that's run by the U.S. government out in Colorado, WWV and WWVB. All the time, all the time. That's all they do is time. Really? Yep. Wow. Gee, Tom, thanks for joining in and helping today. And it's based on the U.S. Master Clock. You're, you're lonely in there today, aren't you? We should point out, Tom's running the whole show again today. Tony had a surprise visit from his mom. We gave Tony the afternoon off, so uh, uh, anything for the moms, right? Well, actually, I feel sorry for the mom with the case of Tony, but yeah. Yeah, well, you know. So let me tell you about this, though. Now that we got the clock out of the way, I, you know, we, we, we received so many emails. And we, we, got a, we got an email this week from someone who said they were a former automotive engineer. And I don't want to talk to Ron on air because he tends to pick on engineers. And I invented this and I invented that. And Tom said, listen, why don't you go on the air and talk to Ron? I'm not going to bite you. I'm not scary. I'm not going to hurt anybody. But I, I want to know why. Okay. 2012 Dodge Durango came into the shop this week i had to do spark plugs it was plugs and maintenance and some other work so the engineer because i assume it wasn't designed by the body department the engineer that came up with the design for the intake manifold decided that the three spark plugs on the right side were fairly accessible the three um, the three spark plugs on the left side required taking off the upper intake manifold now, the upper intake manifold is held on by seven screws, and I believe they were T15 Torx, and one, two, three, five. You can't really see the back three. You need a mirror and a flashlight in order to line your socket up. I think it's there. And I can deal with that. The thing I can't deal with is the screws holding down the fuel injector rail, the fuel rail, they used the same screws. And the fact is that the screws are roughly an eighth of an inch away from the intake manifold screws. So if you're not careful with the mirror and the flashlight, bang, you're taking out the wrong screw. Thank God I read the procedure. Um, it had been a while. I needed a refresher. Yep, I, yeah, I kind of remember this. But I thought to myself, how dumb is this that they put uh, – and think about it. You take out the wrong screw, don't realize what you did. You start it up, the fuel injector's loose, spray fuel all over the place. Eh, so we have a couple of fire losses at the shop. What difference does it make? When Tom told me the story about the engineer today, I said, listen, it's just about common sense. You know, I understand that engineers are up against accountants and marketing, and they've got to make the car last longer, and they've got to make it into the great wondrous product that they want it to be, and so on and so forth. How about this? Instead of putting two T15 Torx bolts right next to each other, make one a T15 and make the other a T15 tamper-proof. You know, with the little tit sticking up in the middle, so you need to change the socket so that you realize it's different. What would that cost? It can't cost that much, and it's got to make the job that much easier for the mechanic working on it. And if the engineer is out there listening... That's the stuff I'm talking about that makes absolutely no sense to me. I don't understand why they do it. 
Then, and now I'm going to beat up the engineer altogether, there are three hold-down bolts on a back bracket on the passenger side corner of the intake plenum. There is a 13-millimeter stud. There are two 10-millimeter nuts. Now, I knew somebody had been working on this car prior to my getting there because one of the 10-millimeter nuts holding the bracket to the back of the intake manifold plenum was missing. The other one was there. The one down bottom, I couldn't even get off because they also attached a wire loom to the top of the stud, and they want you to detach the wire loom. It's a plastic Christmas tree. All my might, I couldn't get this off, and I couldn't pry on it because it's a main wiring harness, and we we know what, how delicate wiring harnesses are today. I've seen the problems with Chrysler's and wiring harness issues that I had to undo the 110 and finagle the intake plenum off to the right and kind of sneak it out the other side. Listen, I get it that engineers have a tough job. I get it that they're up against marketing and accounting and, 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 and designs and, and so on and so forth. But like a lot of the insanity we see around us in day-to-day life, there's no common sense. There's no logic. And that's what I get on a rant about. But if you're an engineer and you want to talk about it, a kinder, peaceful, calmer Ronananian will be here to talk to you about it. I absolutely wish we had an engineer to talk to because I think it's important that we can sit down and exchange these ideas. I've never sat in a consulting meeting where somebody didn't walk out and say, hey, you know what? I learned something, and I don't walk out without saying I learned something. But the point is you can't keep designing stuff like this and expect people to be able to work on it and not talk about it and complain about it. So let's get together. 855-560-9900. By the way, the six spark plugs came out. You had to see how long the threads were, and I, I get it that it's, it's, a, it's a design probably for emissions and fuel economy and performance, but I bet you the thread on that spark plug was every bit of an inch and a quarter, inch and a half long. Crazy stuff we're seeing today, folks. Thank God the spark plug intervals are you know, 100, 110,000 miles before they have to be changed. 855-560-9900. The phones are lit. Let's pull over and take the pause. The car doctor will return and kick the garage doors open right after this. Don't go away. Ronananian. Hey, 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 welcome back. Ronananian, the car doctor, 855-560-9900. Let's kick the garage doors open and go over and talk to Lauren in South Carolina. Lauren, welcome to the car doctor. How can I help? Hey, Ron. Thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. Thanks for being there. I was calling because I was listening to a recent show of yours where you said you change your synthetic oil every 4,000 miles. And I have a 2010 Lexus sedan, and I was usually getting it the oil changed every 5,000 miles, and I was taking it to the Lexus dealership where I'm originally from. But I moved uh, about two years ago to South Carolina, and there's no Lexus dealership here. There's a Toyota dealership, though. And so the last time I took it to get the oil changed, the technician told me that synthetic oil doesn't need to be changed every 5,000 miles. It can go up to 10,000. So he just reset the computer for me, and I went on my merry way. And (laughs) after listening to your recent show, I wondered if that was the right thing to do. You know, Lauren, it's a, it's a great conversation to have. I my, my first concern, I have two, all right? I have three. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, I think to a large degree, 
that and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna base it on this forty three years of repairing cars and what I see in the shop I still turn wrenches every day there's only two guys in the mm-hmm. building myself and Danny and uh, we do all the work you know what I see every day and have seen up to this point I think ten thousand miles is a ridiculous oil change interval I I, mm-hmm. I I don't see cars going that length of time yeah. as as a matter of fact and I can't say that I've read this in Lexus but there are quite a few vehicle manufacturers out there if you read the owner's manual they will tell you after 4000 miles 3000 miles something like that start checking the oil once a month mm-hmm. until you change it and i can't help but think to myself gee did we turn back the clock to 1964 i remember going on family vacations with my dad and the in the, in the family mercury and you know every gas station dad checked the oil because mm-hmm. cars went through oil back then and are, are we becoming that again is it is it time to go back to that but the bigger issue I have is, to my knowledge, there aren't a lot of 10,000-mile oil filters in the marketplace. And when I talk to oil filter manufacturers, they're starting to come on board. Wix is starting to create some higher mileage oil filters. Can I say for certain that that one Toyota is using is rated for 10,000 miles? No, and I don't think that it is. I Unless they showed you and said, yeah, this is a, a filter rated for 10,000 miles, filter manufacturers as of a year ago were still telling us here on the show, here and in the shop, that the majority of oil filters in the marketplace are really only good for seven to 8,000 miles. And at that point, they go into bypass. So unless they're putting on a 10,000-mile filter, I've got an issue with that. Last, my daughter has a 2014 Ford Escape, synthetic oil little two liter works really hard um they 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 we put synthetic in it we call we always use the better grade of oil and so on i've drained the oil at four thousand miles i've drained the oil at five thousand miles at four thousand miles that oil comes out black and beat it really looks horrible and okay i guess i could send it out to a lab and 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 have it tested and they could tell me what chemical properties are in it and go through the drill but my experience has been when I can't rub it between my thumb and forefinger and feel any lubricity to it, there's no, you know, there's no suppleness to it. It feels like mm-hmm. a, a flat pancake. That's mm-hmm. that's not a good sign. That oil's really working hard. And I, I think a lot of these little engines today are working really hard to propel these cars and get the fuel economy and the performance that they're getting. That being said, where would I change the oil if I owned a hybrid? Okay. I would go back mm-hmm. to a five and six thousand mile interval. I wouldn't do okay. a ten thousand mile interval, mm-hmm. and I would do it for all the reasons I cited you, and mm-hmm. I would also do it for the fact that the car is a twenty ten. How many miles mm-hmm. are on it? Uh, just under ninety thousand. Okay, so you've kind of got a little old man that's seventy five, eighty years <laughs> old. Is, mm-hmm. is 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 now the time you're going to stop looking at it? You know, and that's the other factor. The car is six going on seven years old. Mm-hmm. isn't it time to find, you know, if you have one cook in the kitchen, isn't it sort of you make the case for, you know, if he sees that car three times a year or two times a year instead of once mm-hmm. a year? Mm-hmm. Otherwise, how do you service and know what kind of shape the car is in unless you're going to start scheduling the car to go in for physical lookovers? Yeah. At, at that point, and, and this is my biggest argument, so let's say you do an oil change every 10,000 miles and that comes out to be roughly once a year. Let's say you're a 10, 12,000 mile a year person. That means, theoretically, would you feel comfortable going a whole year without anybody looking under the hood and checking fluids? 
No, because I've, I haven't had any issues with this car, and that's why I wanted to call because I don't want to. I don't want to start having issues right. because I'm not doing the things I should be. So, so do you think you would feel good if somebody looked under the hood every six months, every four months, probably yeah. every, probably every four yeah. months, right? Yeah, definitely. Which is probably you know you're probably doing a little bit more miles than ten thousand a year. So it actually comes out to if you're doing an oil change every five six thousand miles every four or five months. That's a pretty good number and a pretty good interval for somebody to be under the hood. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. you're going to take it into the mechanic. And because you were smart enough to call the car doctor, I know you're smart Mm -hmm. enough to know the value of time, that you're going to say to the mechanic, listen, spend a half hour, check the car out, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, is that a reasonable statement? Yeah. So do you want to spend $50 to have the guy check it out, or do you want to spend $80 to have the guy change the oil and check it out at the same time? Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, it's it's... I can't express it enough, Lauren, that every time I see let's make this longer and this longer and do mm-hmm. this less, it always come back to bite us in the you-know-what. Yeah. All right? Um, I agree. So, you know, and you're driving. You know, I had this conversation with someone at the deli yesterday over breakfast. We were talking about hybrids versus conventional. I think hybrids mm-hmm. have a definite place. And uh, you know what? It's it's fascinating technology. But you're driving something that's the equivalent of a copper roof house. You know, you can have a house with an asphalt roof. You can have a house with a Mm -hmm. copper roof house. You've got Mm -hmm. something that's a little bit of a specialty. You're either taking it to the dealer or you're Mm -hmm. taking it to an independent shop that's trained on hybrid, that has a Mm -hmm. qualified, certified guy on hybrid, and they know what they're doing. Um, there's, there's There's no Bob's Garage corner gas station with that car. And, right. and, you know, that's just the way it is. So I, you know, call the Toyota dealer. You know what? Write Toyota, ask them. Somebody should do this research. I don't have the time, to be honest. But somebody should find out, hey, what are Toyota oil filters rated for? And when we find out mm-hmm. they're rated for five, 6,000 mile intervals, somebody's got to tell me how they can go 10,000 on a change. Yeah. You know? And, and that's my question. Yeah. Well, I guess I'll be going back to every... 5,000 miles or however long it's supposed to be doing. It was, you know, set to be every 5,000. Right. It's like Dash will tell me. Right. I, so. I, you know, are there cars out there that go 10,000 mile intervals for the life of their car? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, the question is, I've never seen, I, I don't see, I don't have anybody, you know, 26 years of doing radio. I haven't mm-hmm. anybody called me up with 300,000 miles on their car saying, hey, I changed my oil every 10,000 miles and look how yeah. far I got. Um, You know, it just, so that's the deal, Lauren. I appreciate the call. Thanks for tuning in and my best to you and yours and a good Thanksgiving for you down South Carolina way. I'm Ron Anany in the car doctor, 855-560-9900. We're cruising back right after this. Don't go away. numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Hey, Ron and Andy, the car doctor here, 855-560-9900. Let's get over and talk to George Freeman, Maine, 04 Ford F-150 pickup truck. Hello? George, yes, sir. How can I help? Hey, how you doing, Ron? Good, sir. What's going on? Hey, great. Are you li- listen, I love to listen to your show, and I almost missed it this week because, you know, it's hunting season up here in Maine. Well, you got to have our, you got to have your priorities, Bob, I guess. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know. yeah. Well, a bathroom remodeling kept me home. Well, there you anyway, go. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm the original owner of a 2004 Ford F-150 FX4 with the uh, 5.4-liter engine. Right. And uh, to make a long story short, you know, I have always uh, um, 
maintained it as per recommended uh, manual instructions and as well as the dealership. But uh, a couple of years ago, you know, I hit the mark to get the spark plugs replaced. I took it to the dealer and they gave me a big story that, you know, they might break the spark plugs. They don't guarantee anything and it's going to cost me on top of the labor and parts at least 800 to $900 they were going to tack onto the bill. And that kind of scared me away. And really, the truck was running just fine. And I elected not to do it. A couple of weeks ago, I get a card from Ford. Now, I'm at about 142,000 miles now. And uh, I get a card saying that Ford lost their case act, uh, class action suit. And they're giving us uh, some kind of a rebate or, or some kind of, um, uh, I guess, cash back to get the uh, spark cards or if you had the spark cards replaced. The problem is I exceeded it by about 20,000 miles with their limit. So now I'm at a point where the truck's running fine, but I'm at 142,000 miles. I'm trying to make, you know, I'm at a fork of the road, you know, kind of do I replace the spark plus? Do I go through the hassle, the risk? Uh, obviously, Ford is not going to cover anything at this point. Uh, you know, they, they almost like worked it that way that I went beyond the uh, – the mileage, uh, you know, by a couple. By well, a couple well of years. here, hang on a second, George. Never, never negotiate. Yeah. Never negotiate with yourself. All right. Um, <laughs> you know, that's the that's the first lesson in business. Never negotiate with yourself. See what the other sure. guy has to offer. So, you know, that being said, my questions are: What kind of shape is the rest of the truck in? Are you planning to keep it another ten years, five years, two years, one week, tomorrow? Uh, you know, what's what's your time frame in your head? regardless of what the spark plugs are about. You know, what kind of shape is the rest of the truck in? I would think after 12 winters up in Maine, knowing knowing mm-hmm. the, the salt and the corrosion and the rust issues that they get created up there after the winter, um, you know, what does the undercarriage of this truck look like? Yeah. Well, here, here's the thing. Um, you know, the, the truck is original Florida truck, and uh, it spends the winters actually not in Maine. So as far as the condition of the truck, uh, I've had the dealership – try to buy it off me every time i come in they show me the nice brand new truck and uh i I plan to keep it uh you know as long as i can Uh, probably if anything it'll become my sort of my outdoor recreational vehicle Uh, because like i said i've maintained it top form and uh, always even went beyond in some cases you know i overheard the other caller about the oil change i always change the oil on or before the the time frame Right. And in fact, uh, it's basically based in more on mileage than, than time. Right. Uh, you know, so as far as the truck, the truck's running great. You know, I don't I don't see any significant loss in, in uh, mileage. Uh, change the spark uh, plugs. Efficiency or anything like that. Change huh? change the spark plugs. Here's why. You're you're <laughs> you're you're not going to see any loss in efficiency from the seat of your pants. But right. but what's going to feel the effect and the loss of efficiency? is the way the vehicle runs at the, let's call it the atomic level. Um, the way the way the mixture goes out the tailpipe, what the catalytic converters are going through, what, what sort of carbon deposits are increasingly being created in the cylinders from incomplete combustion from poor spark plugs. You know, it all, it all tends to snowball and build up. And, right, right. you know, there's a reason they call for plugs at a designated mileage interval. And I, I honestly, I got to call it like I see it, George, just because... These are tough to get out, and, you, you know, at the time you didn't want to spend the money. You can't use that as the excuse, hey, you know what, I don't need spark plugs. The truck's running okay. You know, sure. that's like me saying I'm 60 years old, and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take up smoking, but I don't have to worry worrying about the effects of it on my health because I'm 60 and I'm in good health. You know, who, who cares what happens tomorrow? I, 
you know, it's you, you don't start having irrational behavior at the point after you realize you could be creating a problem somewhere else down the point. I guess is my point, and maybe I'm doing a bad job of explaining it. No, um, no, I got you. And again, I was kind of leaning that way. Like I said, I it really wasn't even at this point. It's a, it's a moot situation with Ford trying to give me money now right. after the fact. You know, because, I, uh, yeah, I would still have the conversation with Ford. I, I would still go in there and, you know, bang on the drum about, I bought a Ford product, you guys have a problem. I, you, you scared the bejesus out of me getting that, get me out of here two years ago, and now here I am. Uh, you know, can we do something? Can you do something for me? The numbers I'm hearing at the national level, I'm hearing stories from Ford dealers that the cost of spark plug replacement on this particular motor, and, and this is the this is the 4.6 um, or the 5.4, this is the three-valve motor. Is 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 what this? Yeah, should be. it's a five point four. Right, uh, this is a five four three valve. You know, I'm hearing dollars in the amount of somewhere between eight hundred and a thousand bucks. All right. Yeah. Uh, you know, now I, I read things online at some of the mechanics forums that I that I watch, and you know, believe it or not, what some guys talk about is the easiest way to do these plugs is cold with a three eighths impact gun, and they're pulling them right out of the heads. I haven't seen that work. Every time I try, every time I try that, or every time I do one, the plug breaks off in the head, and I got to get out the special tool and go through the drama. So right, right. you know they are they are a little bit of a nightmare to do. Haven't had the experience yet of having to pull ahead, um, which can happen too. And Ford should make you aware of that. That's the reason they're getting money up front because they're preparing you for when you say, "Ah, gee, I don't want to fix it," you know, and they're going to tell you, "Well." You're now driving a seven-cylinder, and that doesn't work too well unless you pull the head. It, it gives them, right. you know, it puts them in the power, uh, the seat of power. So I think it's back to the Ford dealer. It's what's your best guess for an estimate, and you bite the bullet and you get them done. Okay. All right. Now, also keep in mind that there are a couple of spark plug manufacturers out there that have gotten away from the two-piece spark plug design, which is what these are. Mm-hmm. And I believe one of them is Champion, and I think the other one is Autolite. I am not. Yeah, right. I am not 100 percent certain that Motorcraft has one as of yet, but I would not be surprised because Ford realizes what a problem these plugs are. Yeah, I looked that up. I, I don't recall the brand. I believe it was probably the Champion. Yeah, right. I saw the, some article about using the one piece versus the yep. the Motorcraft problem one. And then, if if you want, if you can get your hands on it and you want to read it, there's a 16 page bulletin uh, all about this from Ford. Bulletin number 08. Dash seven dash six that gives specific spark plug removal instructions, and you well, know, I'm sorry, Ron. What was that? Um, oh eight dash seven dash six. Seven dash six. All right. I kind of I kind of like every time I'm in a dealership doing something. I always I'm always amused by the customer that walks in with the bulletin in my hand and says, "Look, <laughs> you got a problem." <laughs> no, I, I wanted know, to read it up. You know, well, well, no, I, I, I think knowledge is power, and I think it's, I think it's very effective. I think um, standing there, especially, you know, I always tell somebody if you're going to make a scene, or you want to go in and, you know, make a subtle scene, you always go in to complain either between the hours of eight and nine in the morning, or four and five in the afternoon, because that's <laughs> when the crowd's the largest, and people are either dropping off their cars or picking up their cars, and nothing sure. clears, nothing clears and solves the problem faster than the guy going, "I'm losing ground here. I better make this guy happy." Because I'm going to have people watch this show. People are very in tune to how people are treated in an auto repair facility, and it's very important. Yep. Yep. So, all right, sir. All right, man. Appreciate it. Thank you, George.
After the hunting season. Well, yeah, after the hunting season, you get the bathroom work done. I appreciate it, George. You take good care. Have a hey, good rest of the weekend. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Thank you. Hey, Bye-bye. Uh, have a, have Bye-bye. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you. You too, George. Happy Thanksgiving to Bye. you and yours up that way. 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor's coming back. Don't go away. The Car Doctor. Nobody got time for that. Hey, welcome back. Ron Meany and The Car Doctor. Special shout and hello to our special studio guest, in-studio guest. And uh, is she there? Yes, she's there. Wave, little lady. Hello, wave, you're on the air. Smile. There she is. She's waving. Mom's here with us today in studio, and uh, she looks great sitting there. She's uh, recovering from Mom's her. telling me stories about you, and boy, are you in trouble. Uh, well, let me tell you, she knows all the stories, too. Uh, but, you know, that's... Uh, can Mom say hello? Is that... Uh, Mom, yell hello. Hello? Hi. There you go. See, Mom's mom's Hi. waving and saying hello to everybody. Yeah, there you go. Look, 26 years, I finally got you on radio with me. He yeah. said 26 years, he's finally got you on the air. True. Yeah, true. true. Yeah, there you go. So, yep. Ma, you're just a... I just love your smoothness. That's uh, Thank God I didn't inherit that gene from you. Okay, let's get over and talk to Matt, Columbus, Ohio, 94 Buick Roadmaster. Love you, Ma, and uh, see what's going on here. Matthew, how can I help? Ron and Annie and the car doctor at your service. Hey, Ron, thanks for taking my call. I love the show, man. You're welcome, man. What's um, going on? Uh, okay, uh, 94 Buick Roadmaster. I have a check engine light that kind of comes on whenever it wants to. I, and I found out through the climate control, you can find the trouble codes, what number they are. I found out it's a crank sensor code. And these crank sensors, two of them, they were both changed about a year ago. Uh, I changed them about a year ago what? because I had to drain the whole block because the clip was muddy water. Looking. What, what, anyway, what, uh, what, what, what number code is that, Matt? It's 4-3. Yeah, that's a, that's a knock sensor. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. That's Excuse okay. Me, yeah, that's okay. Yeah, 43 is a knock sensor. Um, yes. So go ahead. Yeah, so um, I I had to drain. I had to take both of them out and I replaced them. And uh, and I torqued them back down to 15 foot-pounds, like, like the, with inspect 15 foot-pounds. And um, this is about a year later now, and the, the, the check engine lights is kind of coming on intermittently. Just that one code, look 43. Right. Let me ask you this. Let's 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 diagnose it like this. All right. If if you disconnect both sensors, and and by the way, isn't this an engineering marvel how they buried the knock sensor down under the exhaust manifolds? That's oh yeah, it's that's great. that's where I'd put them. But I can't pick on engineers because yeah, I I don't want to upset any engineers in this world because I just whatever. Um, disconnect the knock sensor. You should have five volts. Key on engine off. There should be five volts on those wires. Right. All right. The way that works, the college word is that's a piezoelectric sensor. It, is a cell, it generates its own signal, and it's 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 listening. It's an audible ear that's listening to the sounds inside the engine, and if it hears knock in the form of um, engine fault or um, uh, uh, timing like uh, spark knock and you know timing over advanced in, in, in an older car or cheap gas or carbon deposits, 
sometimes internal engine mechanical noise, knocking and so on, um, it will trigger its own voltage signal using that 5-volt signal supplied by the PCM and vary it and create a signal. Now, what the 43 says is the 43 says that it's a circuit fault or it's receiving a signal at an incorrect time. So, you know, the question now is what's wrong with the circuit? Disconnect the both knock sensors, put a 5-volt meter on each wire, you should have 5 volts. If you don't have 5 volts, then you've got to check that wire or wires back to the PCM to see if they're open or if there's a problem with the harness. Right. All right. Now, what I have seen, what I have seen is, I have seen because of where those harnesses are located, I have seen those harnesses start to have higher resistance, and that creates an issue. And I've also seen those sensors themselves, depending upon the quality of them and how well they're connected, you should see about 4,000 ohms resistance across those sensors. All right. Uh, Ron, do you think it's possible that uh, since the, the coolant was really disgusting when I drained it out, is it possible that could kind of clog on the other side of it, like the block side of it, and cause any problems? Well, can you can you take a um, – not likely. I mean, listen, it depends on how badly it's corroded. You know, why don't we try this? Let's, let's go through testing the wires first like I'm talking. And then the last thing is with the sensors connected – you should see that voltage signal drop to about a volt and a half. Let's do that. So let's do this. Let's call this a functional test. Let's go through this first. And when you when you come up with those exact numbers and it's worked, then we'll talk a little bit further about possibilities with coolant. Is that a deal? Yeah. Okay. I'll tell you what. Stay on the phone. I know you got one more part to your question, Matt. The clock's going to take me here for a second. Let me pull over and do this thing, and I'll finish up with you at the top of the hour. Ron and Annie in the car, Doctor, 855-560-9900. Coming back right after this. Ron Ananian. Welcome back. Ron Ananian, the car doctor. Let's get back to Matt in Columbus, Ohio. Matt, you're there, sir. Yes, sir. You, you had a front suspension question, Matt? Yep. Uh, only when I turn sharp left or right, I hear a loud metallic popping, clanking noise. Have you? And I've had the, the, Go ahead. I've had the ball joint. I've checked the, the ball joints out. It's not to be any play in them. I looked. At looking at the, the coil springs, um, I I don't see any I didn't see any rubber buffers on the top or bottom of the, the coil springs. So I was thinking probably that could be why someone installed new ones and they didn't put the the rubber seals on them. Yeah, if they're new springs, they're 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 if memory serves me correct, I believe on the top there was a rubber pad that the spring sat yeah. against. Now, let me ask you this. Have you looked at, you must be aware that there is, you know, the stop turn or the turn stop down at the bottom. It's built into the control arm. So when the spindle cranks all the way to one side or the other, it hits the control arm. That's the physical stop. And if you're doing this out of a driveway, the trick would be that you'd go down the driveway, you'd make the turn, and it would hit the stop and it because it would drag the metal across that, that plate at the bottom of the control arm. 
Do you know what I'm talking? Do you know the area of the car I'm talking about? The front suspension. I know the part you're talking about because I saw them on a parts list, but looking online, and I, I didn't even look on them on the actual car though. I didn't think too much about because it. Because kind of it was aftermarket, but I didn't really. Yeah, they they should be greased. Uh, you know, back in the old days when we greased things and changed oil and went through front suspensions as part of an oil change, you just take a dab of wheel bearing or heavy yellow grease and grease that stop, and it will prevent it from dragging and making loud metallic noise as the uh, as you're turning the wheel on a hard left or right turn. This could be the stops that's making the noise, too. So take a look at that, Matt. I'm Ron Anini, the car doctor. Mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya.